Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of realeverything.com. I'm all about loving the skin you're in and being healthy inside and out. And I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne of thepaleomom.com. I believe that scientific literacy is the key to improving public health. Welcome back to The Whole View, episode 464, whereby I have opened a can of worms for Sarah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I hit maximal outrage uh, in um, in researching this topic, um, but I uh, I don't know. I think we're going to get into it, and um, maybe maximum is actually ma- about to occur in the next hour. Because yeah, we're going to go from maximum. When you to talk like about it, <laughs> volcanic eruption. Of anger. Um, So let me just give kind of a preface for everybody. We're going to be talking about PFAS, and there's going to be a whole bunch of chemical names. (laughs) Um, And I think what's interesting to me is even as someone who's been focused on learning about the chemicals in our life that cause harm, right? We talk a lot about health here on the show. And for the first half, at least, of that journey for me, I was really focused on food. And then the world kind of opened up and I started learning more about other things in and out of our control that also affect our health. And, you know, we talk about sunlight and sleep and all these other things that you can control. And then there are things that you can't control. For example, toxic chemicals in your environment. And that is why before we jump into what these are and why they're forever chemicals and how that could affect health and the environment. I want to remind you that as angry and upset as we might get, none of that changes the fact that it exists, the fact that there's nothing really that we can do in a lot of different ways um, other than be aware and not continue to be more exposed. So I, I just want to give that like front end reminder that this is not a show about guilt or shame, whatever you've done in the past, whatever decisions you've made, um, it does, it, you, we got to let that go. And I'm in the same boat because as I was learning about this, even as someone who's been researching it for years, I learned a lot. Um, we have 30 pages of notes, <laughs> so we're going to try to get through all of this and probably there will be, um, follow ons to this because honestly it's, it's opened kind of a can of worms for me from the perspective of, whoa, I didn't realize how bad this was, how pervasive this was, and how unequivocally the science strongly shows that it affects and harms health. And those three things, to me, are the epitome of kind of what we talk about here on the show right and so it's it's a little bit kind of like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna like give you this little appetizer and you're not gonna like it but just just hold on just have patience we're gonna make we're gonna we're gonna do something with that in a minute I um I actually think that there's a really important important like addendum to what you just mentioned, which is that the science has shown pretty unequivocally how harmful these chemicals are for decades. It's not recent science. And this is a um, example of regulatory agencies not being able to keep up with industry and capitalism in, um, in the context of 
lack of disclosure and um, trading profits uh, at the expense of human harm. And it's, it's really hard not to go through the facts and the research and the history of how PFAS came to pollute just about every living organism on the planet um, without seeing it through that lens. And so um, as much as I know we've talked about on the show that um, I think, Stacy, both you and I are sort of very logical people who, when we hear the conspiracy theory type uh, framing of something, we tend to reject it and tend to like seek um, the facts and the evidence um, as almost a way of sort of um, like, um, like almost like the anti-conspiracy type approach, right? So like I hear, I hear the conspiracy theory type language and then I go and I'm like, okay, I, I want to inform myself and really understand what, what's, what's actually going on here. And with this, it's really hard to, to not see it in that conspiracy lens. And I know our, our listeners, as we get into it, will understand exactly what we're talking about. But I also want to make sure that we are upfront about like we've been very, very um, conscientious to really pull facts and evidence. And we're going to have very epic show notes, I'm sure, from this episode with all of the references um, that are all come from extremely good sources and that will all be available to you on our websites. Yes. Thank you for that clarification, because we do like to help pull apart conspiracy theory from reality and that is why we include show notes but also if you don't believe us you can go check yourself um and frankly there's a lot more that you could find that we're not going to be able to fit into the show um and yes and as much as there are extensive show notes there's also a lot of resources that we did not we're not going to bring up or we're not including here and those kinds of things that I would encourage people, if you're curious about this, um, to go research it because I've been fascinated. We're going to talk about a movie I watched, a podcast I listened to. Like, I'm just, I'm really into it. But everything that we're sharing with you is based in fact. Of course, um, as much as we do that, we are not medical professionals. So we are going to be talking about um, the health effects that this can have remember to consult with a medical professional. And there are tests that you can do to test these levels in your own blood if that's something you're concerned about. There are a lot of specific areas that are kind of known hotspots to have high levels of PFAS in their environment. And if you're in one of those areas, that would be something that I personally would do. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, we're not medical professionals, but I'm sure you can talk to one who can help because this is a known science-based fact (laughs) like it is not conspiracy theory so we're we will put all of that in the show notes for you so that you can take that um and run with it wherever you need to but all that said let's let's jump into honestly just kind of basic what are PFAS um we call them forever chemicals what does that mean um so excellent question Stacey um PFAS stands for perfluoroalkyl and polyfluoroalkyl substances. It is a very large class of man-made chemicals. They are not naturally occurring in nature. That um, The thing that they have in common is they have something called an aliphatic perfluorocarbon moiety, which basically means they have at least part of the molecule 
that is a carbon with two fluorine atoms attached to it. And it might have that as a chain. Um, it might have more fluorine in relation to, to carbon, but it has this piece of it that is a carbon with two fluorines. And that little piece of that molecule is incredibly resistant to being to breaking down. So it has um, some of them have half-lifes of thousands of years. Um, and because they're not naturally occurring, they are not found in nature, even though they're very stable molecules when they're synthesized, it means that um, we don't have any kind of biological process that uses them. We don't have any biological process that detoxifies them. And so we have to wait for them to break down naturally in our system. And they're incredibly stable. So what ends up happening is they bioaccumulate, which basically means that as we're exposed to more and more, the levels just keep rising in our environment and in us. And, and this is a... Uh, it's a broad class of chemicals. There's about 9,000 known PFAS, about 600 different PFAS molecules are used in the U.S. right now. There's subclasses of this um, broad class of molecules. Um, and some of the best known are uh, sort of these long chain, they're called per, uh, alkyl acids um, or perfluoroalkyl ether acids, which is just all the chemistry words in one. Um, so the two best known, I think, PFAS are PFOA, um, also called perfluorooctanoic acid, or C8, uh, which is used in the production of PTFE, which is also called Teflon. And the other sort of best known PFAS is PFOS, which is perfluorooctanosulfon... Oh, I'm going to try that one again. Say it with confidence. Perfluorooctane sulfonic acid. I really, third time's the charm? Okay. Perfluorooctane sulfonic acid. Nailed it. Um, but there's, um, again, there's about 600 of these that are used in so many different products. So one of the things that PFAS have um, is this handy chemical property that they, they tend to form um, really solid, barriers that repel water, repel soil. Um, they are great for waterproofing in, in terms of repelling water. Um, so they're used in a huge variety of different types of products, um, including, you know, things like firefighting foam, uh, cookware, right? Teflon, nonstick coatings use, use these most of the time. They are in cosmetics, which Stacey was uh, you're, I know you're going to bring a, a, that perspective to this conversation um, because that was not something I was super aware of. They're in um, any kind of uh, carpet or, or furniture that is stain resistant. That stain resistance typically uses PFAS. Um, I think we did mention it on a, on a previous show that they're, they're found in dental floss, the like easy glide dental floss or whatever, whatever that branding is. Um, includes PFAS. So they're, they're everywhere. And the, the problem is, is that it has actually been known for a very, very long time that these molecules cause health problems. And they cause broad health problems because we don't, um, we don't metabolize PFAS. And they, at the same time, 
have um, almost like an amino, um, sorry, not an amino acid, a fatty acid type structure. And because of that, they can actually bind to multiple receptors, multiple proteins. They can interface with many types of cells and they produce a huge range of physiological effects um, and have been shown to cause a huge range of health problems as a result. And the, the studies that have really tried to hone in on the mechanisms, I mean, one of the problems is that every single PFAS um, can work a little bit differently, have a different binding affinity for a different receptor, for example. And they also, there's precursors that can break down into PFAS, and then PFAS itself can break down into these smaller PFAS molecules. So it gets complicated really, really quickly once it's in a biological system, which is already phenomenally complex. But just for example, um, PFAS are known to bind to at least nine different nuclear receptors, which activates them, that controls gene expression. One of the most important and sort of well-understood genes um, that are activated is, is PPAR-alpha, um, which controls uh, how we burn stored fat um, and also helps regulate energy homeostasis. Um, and then one of the most important uh, proteins that um, PFAS bind to is um, albumin proteins in our blood, which are transport proteins. So they help to... Um, shuttle things in our blood from one area of the body to the other. For example, vitamin D binding protein help moving vitamin D around. Um, they also bind with steroid hormones, um, making, making PFAS endocrine disruptors. And that's just like the tip of the mechanistic iceberg. There's some really um, a phenomenal, huge body of literature really trying to, to isolate the mechanisms because understanding mechanisms is the key to um, looking at something that's correlative and understanding the causative nature of it. So there is a ton of research showing a causative effect between PFAS exposure and kidney and testicular cancer, thyroid disease, liver damage, developmental toxicity, ulcerative colitis, high cholesterol, decreased fertility, pregnancy-induced preeclampsia and hypertension, um, a broad range of different changes in hormone functioning and immune dysfunction, uh, which is then also downstream linked to increased risk of asthma, osteoarthritis, Crohn's disease, in addition to ulcerative colitis, which I already mentioned, rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, lupus, and multiple sclerosis. And actually, it's the immune toxicity aspect of PFAS that's been the best studied, um, the best understood, and um, probably, you know, given how many immune and autoimmune diseases are in that list, as well as cancers, which are all linked to immune dysfunction, um, it's probably one of the dominant mechanisms. Um, and there's tons of studies showing that it's not just that it's, um, it's PFAS are basically immune toxic, um, and overall they suppress the immune system. Um, and this has been measured in a variety of different ways. Um, one of the ways actually is through, uh, vaccine responses. Um, so this actually shows, uh, lower antibody pr production in response to vaccines. It's one of the easiest ways to measure broad immune suppression. Um, but it's been shown, there's just been a ton of toxicology studies done in rodents as well to really hone in on, all of the different aspects. And then something that I think is even probably, you know, we're, we're not gonna be able to get into depth into this in terms of how problematic PFAS are for our health. 
Um, but in terms of their bioaccumulation in the environment, they're also unregulated greenhouse gases. So they have a variety of toxic effects across a lot of at least complex life forms. Um, they bioaccumulate in plants, they bioaccumulate in animals, um, they bioaccumulate in water and soil and, um, and also in the air. And, um, and so they're, they're harmful to not just human health, but also environmental and ecological health. There was so much to unpack there. So I, w- <laughs> I want to walk it all back. But first, I do want to say one of the things that um, was important for me to understand, and I want to make sure other people hear it, is we're going to talk about things like in water or on makeup, different places that PFAS are. Um, but it, I also read a lot of things in the different scientific literature where some places would say, oh, it's it's not really absorbed through the skin. Don't worry about that. Um, like, for example, if it's in water that you're swimming in. Um, and then I found a study, I'll put the link in the show notes, that um, can... Uh, the summary was the data suggests that um, PFOA, which again, PFOA falls under PFAS. So I'm going to probably just refer to PFAS when referring to all the different kinds of it, because Sarah gave an excellent example, but it's all just a whole bunch of chemistry names that don't really mean much to me. Um, <laughs> they were fun to say, though. Let's let's come on. Sure. So <laughs> one of these types of PFAS is dermally absorbed. And um, under certain conditions, the skin may be a significant route of exposure that they suggested needing to be further looked into. And um, so that's the kind of thing to me where okay, maybe originally we didn't think that that was the science and it's emerging and we need to be aware of it. But as a consumer, I want to make you aware that that data does exist. And so when you're thinking about the different places that you might want to be aware and think of, that is something for me that I was like, oh, (laughs) like warning flag. Um, So one of the other things that I wanted to mention that I just think is really important and not something I necessarily understood until digging into this, Sarah, as you said, it bioaccumulates. So um, one of the things that is fantastic is that as we walk through the history and the timeline and all this stuff, um, our government is asking companies to reduce their use and to come up with alternatives. So one of the main things you listed was um, a fire what do they call it? Fire foam, essentially, mm-hmm. right? It's like the the thing that fights fire. Um, and they now there is now safe safer ones that exist. They they claim they're non toxic. I don't look into that. I just know it doesn't contain PFAS that um, can start being used. The problem is that it's what's already in the environment or what's already in your body. It's not like our livers. And the detox processes that we talked about in show 269, like that those real and legitimate forms that our body has to detoxify, this is not something that it can break apart and accumulate. So I just I want to like emphasize that because I we try so hard to dispel the myths of detoxes and like you know, not be fear-mongering about these things, but um 
This is one of those cases where even when companies are reducing how much is in the environment, we've kind of already absorbed. And so even if there's 50% less, that's still just piling on, right? It's it's yeah. not like your what's in you starts to reduce over time. It doesn't go anywhere. And so anything that's still there just keeps getting added. Um, so we're definitely going to come back to this concept in a little bit. Um, but one of the things that I want to make sure that I add to, um, in addition to absorption through the GI tract, so that's like super well established as a, a route of uh, exposure and absorption. And in addition to absorption through skin, there's also some studies showing that it can be absorbed through the lungs, so through inhalation exposure. So um, it they do just seem to be chemicals that get into the body very, very well. And one of the things that I find um, really sort of disconcerting about where the research is, because it's, um, you know, the the cancers and stuff that were, were found in um, communities that had high levels of exposures uh, from uh, contamination of their, you know, county water supplies and stuff like that. Um, that was some of the earliest sort of epidemiological studies. Um, epidemiology is now starting to show links uh, that still need the mechanism to be fully identified. So these are more like associations, correlations, rather than like definitively caused by, but there's dose responses. So the fact that a dose response exists is very damning and very um, indicative of causation. If something is more likely to occur, the more of this thing you're exposed to, then chances are really good. There's a causal mechanism there. And among those conditions include obesity, type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular disease, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, um, and osteoporosis. And very interestingly, there are some studies basically showing that exposure to uh, PFAS magnifies the metabolic effects of a poor or metabolic harm of a poor quality diet. Um, and so to to wrap that into, Stacy, what you just said about detoxes, um, I really want to emphasize that uh, one of the things that I found in, in researching for, for this episode was a number of programs, supplements that you could buy that claimed to detox PFAS. None of those are based in scientific literature, but the science does make a case for, um, you know, being able to at least mitigate some of the metabolic effects through good diet and lifestyle. So it's not like being exposed to PFAS means we need to give up hope and and stop, you know, being intentional with our our day-to-day -day choices. In fact, the science shows exactly the opposite that it's still we can still support our health through all of the things that we talk about on the show all the time. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy for um, like the other aspect for me which is that in talking about it and the like um, the negative effect and how we choose to react in that. For example, there was a study that showed 100%, let me just repeat that back, 100% of breast milk tested contained PFAS. So that means um, there were a bunch of different kinds of PFAS and 
um, different milk was tested for different ones, there was at least one type in every one tested. And so what that's telling us is that like we all have it and it is Mm -hmm. increasing and being detectable more over time, but that shouldn't be kind of an alarmist reaction to, oh, well, I'm not going to give my child breast milk then because we know that there are so many other reasons that breast milk offers amazing protections against some of the uh, immune response and different kinds of things that we talked yeah. about metabolic response all that we've done gosh way back in the day maybe we need to update that um a lot of breast milk shows back in the day when we had young children um but that is a you know scientific evidence shows that breast milk is one of the best ways to help babies um have a strong health start from the beginning if you can. And so the answer isn't, oh, there's PFAS there. Never mind. I'm going to avoid it. Because honestly, um, it's really kind of unavoidable. Like, well, yeah. I just want to be very clear. There's, We can all make as many choices um, that are in our best interests and um, health as we can. And we are never going to completely eliminate all toxins. It's just period. Um, they're in the environment. They're, you know, it's it's out there. And so we just need to continue to make the best healthy living choices on other things that we can. So one of the things that I wanted to share is like this walk down history lane of what that looked like over time. Yep. But not in a nice way. I feel like history lane is like, <laughs> oh, remember no. when that thing happened? This is like, no, this is like that lane of doom. It's this like is a like that horror car, movie history lane. That car coming up behind you, um, <laughs> you know, going too fast and like running you off the road. Um, yep, that, that one, that history lane. Okay. So Honestly, this has been super fun for me to research. And the reason that we started having this conversation was because one of the last things on this list of history is a new um, no PFAS in cosmetics um, law bill that was proposed in June of 2021. So just last month, if you're listening live. And it caused me to start doing more research and looking into this because there are so many pending cosmetic reform legislations at this point that I was like, do we really need another one for just PFAS? Turns out, yes. <laughs> and so I'm going <laughs> to walk you through what the differences are and um, and why. So it started way back um, early in the day in 1930 when um, DuPont and um, a couple other companies produced Freon. I think we're all familiar with Freon. Mm-hmm. And um, in 1935, DuPont opened one of their first in-house toxicology facilities. And I will preface this by saying um, I have accumulated all of this history and information from the internet that is also sourced and linked in um, the show notes. But of course, I was not there. So this is all just, you know, hearsay and what I'm reading and all that kind of stuff. Um, you said you weren't there at the formation of Freon 19, 1930. I was not. No, mm-hmm. I wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. So I just had other things to do back then. <laughs> just want to make sure people are not going to come at me like, no, that's not what happened. Okay. I'm doing my best. So, um, 1938, so eight years after, um, a 27-year-old research chemist in that DuPont laboratory was working with Freon um, when an experiment resulted in PTFE, um, which is the saturated fluorocarbon polymer that then turned into Teflon PTFE 10 years later. So Teflon is the you know name brand that I think a lot of us are familiar with for that chemistry name that Sarah can have fun saying if she wants to. Um, I think that's I'm a, done with chemistry. 
Okay. That's abbreviated PTFE. So um, it took 10 years, like I said, from that experiment in 1938 before Teflon became a thing. So then in 1950s, um, 3M, who um, you would know from Scotchgard, is what would be kind of the brand name that you would be familiar with something that would use this product, um, started to manufacture PFAS as well. So according to a 2016 lawsuit, they were also disposing of this in inappropriate places. So that's really where a lot of this problematic stuff in our environment comes from and what a lot of people are familiar with from both DuPont and 3M. It's why they became more famous than perhaps other companies that were using it because of the um, where and how they were getting rid of known toxic waste. If you are interested in that particular history of like understanding the intent of those companies um, doing that behavior. There was a super fun podcast I listened to by Bailey Sarian, who also does Murder Mystery Mondays, where she puts on her makeup and talks about murder mysteries um, that kiddo introduced me to. She started a podcast, and the very first one was on the DuPont chemical poisoning. And then there's also the film Dark Waters, which is like an Aaron Brockovich-esque version of this story with... Mark Ruffalo. But based based on a true story. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, so was Aaron Brockovich. So was, I mean, yes, they're both they're both based on on true stories of lawyery people who yes. can't can't give up the fight. Wouldn't you say? Um, I mean, I think it's I, I don't know. I I enjoyed yeah, no, Aaron Brockovich I, I more. But. So we I texted you over the weekend like if you haven't watched Dark Waters yet, I just watched it as part of my prep for this podcast. And it was fantastic. We watched it with the kids and I literally finished with going like, Oh, maybe they liked that. So they found that so interesting. Like, I guess Aaron Brockovich is next. So yeah, I would say they're, they're similar stories. Although I think the, the style of the movies are a little bit different. I would agree there. Okay. So again, if you, if you want to know all of that side of it, go for it. Like, you can research more into that. We're going to focus on the PFAS and the rest of the history, not just tied to those companies. So um, it was 1954. So it after the manufacturing of it legitimately that DuPont realized that there was possible toxicity from what they called C8. So there's a lot of different names for it, um, but they're all PFAS. And in 1956, a study at Stanford found that PFAS binds to protein and human blood, which you heard Sarah talk about as being a problem. Um, And so it was 1961. So it was about five years after DuPont knew, and they probably were doing the research in that in-house lab I mentioned, um, that their in-house toxicologist said that um, C8, the PFAS, was toxic and should be handled with extreme care. Um, And so we've known, as Sarah said, for a very long time, the science has shown that... um, this, it's like 75 years. Yes, that this causes 75 harm. years. Okay, that just made me face palm when you say it like that. I'm like, I don't think of the 1950s and 60s as that far away, but I guess I guess we do. Um, in the 1970s, 3M also appears, um, again, this is based on discovery of lawsuits and all kinds of stuff, that PFAS accumulates in human blood. So um, you can look, it was 1998 that the Robert Billet, who is the lawyer that the Dark Waters movie was based on, took up a case representing um, a West Virginia farmer who um, started to feel the health effects 
both himself, but he actually went for his cattle. He realized there was something wrong with his um, animals because they were drinking out of a creek that supposedly DuPont was dumping in. So, of course, they were <laughs> feeling that effects almost immediately, and um, that is what started it all. So that's 1998 from the official notification of possible toxicity in 1954. This is why it becomes like a thing in movies and whatever, because it's, I mean, it's a hard pill to swallow to know that a company knew for 44 years that there was something that they were doing that was problematic and they continued to do it. Um, and why we need regulation to mandate things so that um, it's not up to companies to decide, you know, what to do because, we have seen history shows us that we act in the best interest of making money sometimes instead of what's best for the environment. But I do think that it's great that there are companies now creating alternative to PFAS products like the firefighting foam, which, you know, we need fires to be fought. Can we find something else that performs the same task um, without putting PFAS into the environment? So um, it was 1998 that Robert Billet, um, I think, it was him. It might have been. Hold on. Let me get there. 1998 was when um, the EPA was first alerted to the risk of PFAS. So of particular interest from that perspective, 1976 was the year that the Toxic Substances Control Act gave EPA the authority to require reporting of toxic substances. So what that act says is a company, if you start using a product that is toxic, you need to let us know. It's kind of a self-reporting requirement. And so DuPont knew from 1954 that they were using something that could be toxic. They did not report it to the EPA at the time of required self-disclosure in 1976. And so it was in 1998 with the whole Robert Billet thing that um, EPA was then alerted that PFAS made forever chemicals and that they never break down once released and they build up in the bodies. Like that, that's kind of what they were alerted to um, for the first time. So, I mean, that was when I was in high school. Like that was, that, to me, I'm like, that was not that long ago. And I'm, I know I'm old, but like, you know, that was not that long ago. So it was um, a 2000 study determined that PFAS were wildly detected in wildlife throughout the world. And um, that came from it being widespread into the environment, which as Sarah said, bioaccumulates. It doesn't break down from rain or anything like that. So in 2003, m stopped manufacturing their PFOS, um, and I think they stopped doing Scotchgard at that time, though Scotchgard then still existed for a while from other companies still using it and different kinds of stuff. So I'm not even getting into, I took out all of the history of the Navy and other public services using that firefighting foam, um, because that's really what they think attributed a lot of the environmental buildup to, because they were literally out spraying it. Yeah. Yeah. You just think about the volume, especially if you're putting out like big fires, right? And not just the U S chemicals. Yeah. Not just the U S and there's big Australia stuff. Like it's, you know, it, it everywhere. So I'm not, I'm not even getting into that. Again, if you want to look into that, you can. Um, so like I said, in 2000, Scotchgard stops, um, 3M stops manufacturing Scotchgard and um, saying that they're trying to be, trying to have corporate responsibility and be environmentally friendly. Um, 
and that 3M said that their decision to drop Scotchgard would likely affect DuPont's use of PFAS and Teflon um, because their testing showed that it does not decompose, it's persistent, um, and we know that it harms health, right? But Teflon's still around, so what Mm -hmm. happened? Um, In 2001, DuPont ended up settling that lawsuit with the lawyer from 1998. Um, And then in 2004, there was a class action lawsuit against them. These are all not just from using the pans. These are from people who um, lived in a town where these toxic chemicals were not disposed of properly and they were um, exposed at high levels. And what's interesting about this is that it led to the 2005 and 2006 um, epidemiology studies. Did I say that properly? Um, yes. That's the largest epidemiological study ever performed. That excited Sarah to no end. She was like, oh, I'm so excited to look at those studies. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. I just realized how much of a nerd I am. Like again, it was I a cute text. Knew, it was, but I just, text. it just, the wave of nerdiness just, yeah, no, it's super it took them years to to actually fully analyze the data because it was an unprecedented amount of information. 69,030 individuals. That's, I mean, that's a lot of data. So it was then in 2006, at the cusp, at the end of that, that EPA then brokered a voluntary agreement with DuPont and eight other major companies to phase out the use of PFOS and PFOA specifically in the United States. But again, those both roll up to being PFAS. Um, Yeah, I actually want to stick a pin in that because they agreed to phase out the two most studied and most uh, commonly used PFAS, but not PFAS in general. So they're only agreed to phase out these two sort of longer molecule PFAS. And um, what they ended up doing is replacing them with shorter molecule mm-hmm. PFAS. Other ones, yes. And we're going to get to that in, in a bit. Yes. Which is why when they looked at the breast milk study, they looked at like all, I think it was 21, right, possibles. And then they saw that 100% had at least some, right? Yeah. So, um, all right, let's look. So then we have in 2017, um, we start to see abnormally high levels of PFAS from dumping in Michigan um, that ended up being from like a shoe company. And it wasn't the shoe company. They didn't realize that Scotchgard was toxic. And so they were they weren't disposing of that properly. Right. Like it was it was all this kinds of stuff. But here's the thing. In 2017, those abnormally high levels that were detected were actually from shoes that were manufactured decades ago. Like the PFAS were still there. And it's the same thing with um, something I read about Washington State and different kinds of things. Like it hasn't been happening, but there's um, there's actually a woman who's kind of made it her life mission. Her name is Gail. I don't remember her last name. Who's going around and like measuring all this stuff. And even though it happened decades ago in those areas, it's still, it's still there, right? It doesn't, it doesn't biodegrade. It's, it's all still there. So um, good news for Canada in um, 2017, PFAS, um, joined, I don't know, went on the government of Canada's 2009 chart of substances <laughs> that are prohibited. It sound like PFAS was like, they joined the, they joined the join, club I'm of, going to yep, join. they no, joined the yeah. club of bad substances. They're bad. Um, and then in um, 2012, they were 
prohibited by them. Mm, I don't know exactly what that says. That math seems backwards. But I know for sure 2017 PFAS are on their, their chart of substances that are prohibited. So excellent news for you, Canada. Um, here in the United States, we don't have that. Um, there was a thumbs up and a sarcastic face involved as I said that. Um, and then in 2018, this is where it gets a little hairy. And we're going to get into kind of where we are from the modern perspective. But this is fascinating if you want to dive into this a little bit. Starting in 2018, there was some studies done by the Agency for Toxic Substance and Disease Registry in the United States. And they wanted to publish results that identified the levels at which exposure would have been too low for what other political agencies and um, leaders deemed uh, was too low. They were like, no, no, if you, let me find the quote. Um, Okay, so according to an internal email that was then later disclosed and published, um, the quote is, the public media and congressional reaction to these numbers is going to be huge. The impact to EPA and the Defense Department is going to be extremely painful. We, the DOD and EPA, cannot seem to get the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registration to realize the potential public relations nightmare this is going to be. And of course, I read that and it's a little conspiracy theory sounding, but it is in fact from an email. And I'm like, what does it matter if it's like, a public relations nightmare, the job of the Agency of Toxic Substances is to warn people and to create the standard of safe levels. But again, this is maybe not as relative or easy to understand because I didn't go into the Navy's use of this and the public use of it for for foam. And there's really a lot of exposure on the DOD side from um, the DOD has used foam containing PFAS chemicals in bases across the country. And so they felt like they were one of the biggest liabilities as it related to publishing that amount and knowing that their levels were above it, if that makes sense. Wait, I need to rant for a minute. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) This email implies that the EPA did not want to follow the science to set an exposure limit linked with health problems because they knew of so many examples of people being exposed beyond that limit. And it is 100% the opposite of what the Environmental Protection Agency is supposed to do. And it is this kind of... um, this kind of thinking, right? Like we know this was a few years ago. There's been some positive movements since that Stacey, I know you're going to get into, but it's the, the being deterred by the public relations nightmare that is uh, whoops, sorry, we exposed everybody to, you know, high levels of these toxic substances that are going to increase health problems. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the nightmare. And that's the nightmare that we're all now retroactively realizing. And um, and it's your job to it's your job to a do something about it now, and b fix what went wrong so this doesn't happen with the next man-made chemical that has this kind of capacity. And rant from now. Pause rant. Pause rant. <laughs> Not end rant. Pause rant. Yes. 
Um, so again, there's just a bunch of political stuff that happens and that's only a few years ago. So it's very, it's, you know, well-documented on the internet and you can dive as deep into that as you'd like to. We are going to put more information in the show notes, but I think what is, um, interesting to me is some states have taken, um, the ability to regulate and then kind of gone after companies for not meeting those standards, right? If we can't get it at a federal level, let's try to do it at a state level, especially if you have those companies manufacturing in your state or near your state where the water would run through or different things like that, right? Um, then we also have the, um, scientific panel from October of 2019, where a hundred scientific experts representing many countries. Now, for me personally, when I'm trying to dive into learning about something, I love being able to see experts from different different um, areas of the world, but all kind of like being an expert in their top, top of their game, coming together and mind hiving because that's like the magic sauce. Being someone who's been able to like be in a room with other people who are amazing and smart, like, I don't know. For me personally, I'm like, tell me what these hundred scientific experts representing many countries said, because that is comforting to me versus hearing what one person says that might disagree. If we, if the consensus of people is consistent with this other thing, that makes sense to me, right? And so these people in 2019 recommended that a group of hazardous chemicals, um, PFAS, I'm just gonna, just gonna, I don't know what that is. I can't even. I, Sarah's looking at the notes and it's like, it's got like sub little letters and stuff. I don't know. It's mm-hmm. PFAS. They be eliminated in order to better protect health, um, human health and the environment from its harmful impacts. And seeing the big picture here, that makes sense to us because we know that it bioaccumulates. And so therefore there really isn't like some low level that we can continue to just let exist because all that's going to do is just increase the accumulation of it still existing. The only way to protect ourselves is to get rid of it, which is what they recommended. So um, jumping in to the 2020-2021, there are some landmark legislations. We'll put links to them and talk about them a little bit later. Um, What is interesting to me is that there is a PFAS task force. There is a PFAS bill um, just banning or uh, moderating PFAS in the United States um, that's not approved, right? It's in, it's under review kind of in committees and things. And then there's also a no PFAS and cosmetics act. So that's why. And then we also have the other personal care safety acts and the natural personal care law. Yeah, like there's also there's, a um, no PFAS and food packaging act as well. Yes. It's also been presented. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's everywhere. Oh, and uh, what's interesting is some companies, Burger King in particular that I read about, I don't know if there's others, are starting to understand from public frustration about it existing, acknowledging it being in food wrappers and pizza boxes and all these things, and saying, okay, I'm going to... I. I hear you and we're going to look into this, right? And yeah. so this is what... Uh, when, Wendy's, not that we eat fast food, but right. Wendy's just announced, I think last month or maybe the month before, that they're going to phase it out of their packaging by the end of 2021. So I do love that one of the things that we can do, and again, you know, we'll get there, uh, but I don't want you to feel like, 
oh my gosh, this history has been going on for so long and we've known so long. And like EPA also was questionable about that whole like they were like, no, you just didn't take care of your cows. It's fine. Right? Like, there's, mm-hmm. I, I'm not exactly sure what ha- what happened there. It is disheartening. And I'm like, do we even have a chance? But then I can see that, you know, states are taking a stance where they can and individuals like ourselves becoming educated and sharing about this and demanding better drive corporations to make better choices, whether it's regulated or not. So we need to just continue to be educated and hold people accountable in order to continue to change that timeline. It might not happen because it's it's come up, it's gone away, it's come up, it's gone away. It's never been enacted yet. And so if we can't count on that, what can we do? We can do some other things. So um Again, uh, I recommend the the movie Dark Waters if you're curious, because I do think that they walk through a lot of that as well. Yeah, excellent movie. Highly, highly recommend. Um, and I think it's I think it's really interesting that we both watched it independently, not knowing the other person was watching it. So that's that's. Listen, I was doing homework for the show. I was, you know, it's yeah. not always, but I showed up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I, I think it's helpful to, to transition into a, like what we can do about it as individuals. And I think the, the first step in taking action is really understanding exposure. Um, there are studies showing that, um, you know, despite us calling it forever chemicals, um, it just means that they have an incredibly long half-life, but there are, uh, measure, measurements of people who have been exposed um, in these sort of polluted communities um, that do show that once the exposure is removed, right, the community adds a water filtration system to the to the entire water supply, for example, that levels do go down over time. It's a long period of time, um, but it it does. Um, it does break down. It just breaks down incredibly slowly. So forever is not quite, but the, you know, a really, really long time chemical doesn't have the same ring to it as forever chemical, I guess. Um, so the, the best thing that studies show that we can do now to uh, reduce the levels in our own bodies is basically um, eliminate exposure or at least um, reduce exposure as, as much as we possibly can. So um, understanding what what things might get us exposed to PFAS, I think, is is very, very helpful. Um, as I think we've already covered, you know, PFAS are now, uh, you know, it's not just that it's used in a wide, wide variety of different products. It's also in uh, the water supply, for example. Um, there was a study that showed that, you know, basically nearly two-thirds of America had um, le- levels of PFAS in their water. Um there's studies showing that it is in soil. It's um, actually been found in the deep ocean. Um, it's in the atmosphere. So there's a certain level of exposure that we don't really have control over, but we do have control over some of the products that we choose to use. Um, I think the the big example is um, cookware, um, especially uh, not just Teflon, but basically most nonstick cookware um, uses PFAS. Um, and it's very, very important. Um, if you're using that type of cookware, um, to not 
uh, not heat the pan very high because when it gets heated, I remember actually in the early 2000s when this sort of became a, a news story about, you know, if the coating gets scratched or if it gets the pan overheats, it releases some of those chemicals into the food. Um, but that is probably one of the most dominant exposures for most of us is through cookware. Um, but also there's a lot of types of food packaging, um, especially uh, coated paper type things. So think of uh, candy wrappers, pizza boxes, microwave popcorn bags, um, uh, fast food wrappers, um, that sort of grease resistant paper is coated with, with these chemicals. Um, and then uh, things that are stain resistant or water resistant. So water resistant clothing, stain resistant carpets, upholstery, fabrics, things like umbrellas, things like tents, um, uh, bed, pet, bed covers, uh, mattresses, shoes. Um, but there's also PFAS and cleaning products in paints and varnishes and sealants. Um, there's, uh, it's in electronics, so uh, things like the insulation that goes around home wiring, that plastic can have it. Um, now, granted, that's in your walls. You know, chances are you're, you're not personally getting exposed there. Um, but it's helpful to just be aware of how... Or if you have uh, that profession... Right. Right. If, if you if you're touching it, right, and you're that's your profession, then that that is something to look into. Um, and then it's in it's in things like you know industrial applications, right? So uh, it's in metal coatings and lubricants for machinery. And again, we've mentioned the firefighting foams a, a ton of times. Um, it's in some kinds of pesticides. It's in some kinds of um, uh, medical um, device hardware. Um, so just being, being aware of that. And then of course, um, it's in personal care products and cosmetics, um, which for me was other than dental floss, which I knew because we'd sort of covered that on the show before, I think I didn't realize how pervasive it is. And Stacy, I think we should tap into your expertise here. Yeah, I, I think it is concerning. <laughs> so there was a study that came out, I think it might have been in April, um, but really was um, talked a lot about in June, that um, a third party studied hundreds of makeups and determined that over 50% um, contained PFAS or what they call high fluorine. Um, and of those, it's the things that would um, protect from water that you find in highest concentration. So for example, waterproof mascara at 82%, foundation, um, whether it's liquids or creams at 63%. Um, so we're talking about all cosmetics tested, all of them, including lip products that you're consuming, um, having an average of over 50% of containing this product. And I think what I also want to just mention, and I, I know I've discussed it before, but in this context is it's probably not even the case that companies are necessarily adding PFAS to these other products. I think it might be likely, for example, in waterproof mascara, because they know that that is something that is keeping the mascara from, um, 
coming off with with water, with sweat or something like that, right? But in some of these other cases, I would imagine that this is coming from the manufacturing process. This is coming from packaging. This is coming from um, some uh, fragrance, right? And I'm using quotation marks there, some secret sauce, some um, oil blend that some some company is giving them that um, doesn't necessarily even disclose PFAS. And that was what was interesting about the um, uh, bills and things that have come up is, you know, what's what's hard is not even just that over 50% of them contain, it's that most of them did not disclose, right? The vast yeah. majority of them, I forget what that percentage was, but it was like a vast majority of them did not disclose any PFAS containing ingredients. So it's not like you could just look at this and be like, oh, it it does or does not have. Um, there's no way to know unless you test. And so I think what's interesting is the, um, in this case for personal care, it's not the EPA, it's the FTA. And as we know, they don't really have any control because the law hasn't been updated since 1938, but they do have a voluntary registration program that does show that, um, companies have decreased about half from 2019 to 2020, which is great, as I mentioned earlier, um, are reducing their um, uses or the amounts of PFAS in their cosmetics. But even the FDA themselves says because this registration is voluntary, the data can't be used to draw definitive conclusions because companies could just choose not to disclose or to register in this voluntary program. So it's another reason that we need, you know, that, that regulation. And um, yeah, man, it sucks. It's why, it's why I use makeup products that are tested. Um, Because I think it was just what, a month or two ago, we talked about benzene and sunscreen. It's, um, I do think it's great that there is more knowledge and exposure coming up and it's forcing brands to take a look in a way that they really haven't had to be accountable in a long time. I mean, I've been doing this for years and I do think that like the last six months people have been a lot more educated. And I don't know if that has to do with like being home and just being hyper aware of health Mm -hmm. or, you know what I mean? It's, um, or if more people are sending things off to be third party testing because it's somehow become more accessible and affordable, right? Like I'm actually kind of curious how much it would cost me to send some things that I have around my house that aren't like that I use that aren't from a brand that does testing. Like, Hey, can I test this myself to see what's in it? Um, different things like that. And, and it's becoming more accessible and more affordable for people to do that, which I think helps as well. So I think that one of the challenges is, uh, you know, we've really seen a lot of brands commit to getting rid of PFAS. We've seen more testing and that has been largely in part of, of like just pressure from the public, right? The people don't want to be exposed to chemicals that are going to accumulate in their bodies and harm their health, whether long-term or, or short-term. And so there've been a lot of companies that have sort of voluntarily decided to phase these out. But one of the things that's happening is, as we mentioned earlier, is that they're not necessarily phasing out all PFAS. They're taking these really well-known ones like PFOA and PFOS and saying, okay, we're going to phase out those. We're going to not use PTFE, right? We're not going to use Teflon. Um, And instead... Uh, what's happening is because the regulatory bodies have not kept up with the chemical industry is that the there are a lot of manufacturers who are replacing 
the sort of well-known, you know, buzzwordy type PFAS with smaller molecule versions of them, right? They're still, they're short chain PFAS instead of long chain PFAS. Um, and they're doing this under this sort of like presumption that since they're smaller molecules, they have lower toxicity or a lower level of bioaccumulation, but the scientific studies don't show that at all. And we'll put, you know, links in the show notes to these, but basically research has shown that these sort of new PFAS that are being used to replace the sort of original ones that that were so pervasive until the late 90s and uh, awareness actually started to increase about how harmful they were, um, they've shown that bioaccumulation absolutely occurs of these short-chain PFAS in humans and in animals and um, that they are even taken up by, by plants and that um, they seem to have similar uh, toxicological effects. Um, they don't seem to be, um, it's not the length of the molecule. It's, it's really just the, the presence of this carbon atom with a couple of fluorines that is the problem. And so that there's no way to get around this chemical class in a safe way. And so even though these new short chain ones that are being used haven't been as extensively studied, the, the data that's there shows that they are likely just as problematic. So one of the things that I've seen sort of trending in uh, as greenwashing, I think, is um, you know PFOA-free, phthalate-free, which is a different class of chemicals, PFOS-free, PTFE-free, and that's not enough. It really needs to be PFAS-free. And I think that um, it's really important just as informed consumers, um, I would like not just our audience, but everyone to know um, that this is a big chemical family and switching from the best studied harmful ones to the less studied harmful ones is not actually a good trade for the consumer um, and so, or the environment for that matter. So um, it's really important to not just look for the the greenwashing buzzword, but to actually look for PFAS free, PFAS free, um, as well as third party testing being a really really important um, uh, marker to look for and disclosure of test results. So some study some some brands will um, claim that they're third party tested, and then if you ask to see the results, they're like they will say no. <laughs> um, Results of, of testing should be posted on their websites or should be at least available to you when you ask with a batch number or whatever that you have. I have this product. I want to see the third-party testing for this product. Um, so that that transparency needs to be there as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, I also want to reiterate that companies can put any label that they want um, on a product. So when you're trying to avoid the greenwashing of like a lesser thing, even if you saw a PFAS-free just remind yourself that there is no regulation. There is no standard for that the way that there is other things. So one of the um, laws that is being proposed and hasn't really gone anywhere is the Natural Cosmetics Act. And again, that wouldn't affect everything. That would just be cosmetics um, and personal care, which encompasses things like deodorant and shampoo and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, it hasn't been updated since it was first introduced in 2019, so it's probably going to die in committee. But that one sought to identify those labels and not just put things like 
natural or, you know, another one that people do this with is BPA, right? Like they'll yeah. put BPA free, but then they'll use another kind of plastic that is um, potentially harmful as well. So um, let's talk about some of the things that we can do. Um, and you've heard us talk about regulation and legislation a lot. That's because it's all kind of swirling in the United States government and, and has been for a while. And so when you call your representative, whether that's your um, congressperson or your senator or both, um, or you write a letter or you text or you do any of those kinds of things, personal letters um, and a face-to-face meeting is obviously um, uh, has a higher impact. But when you do any of those things, you have a direct impact and the potential for these changes to be made for everyone in the country if we can get it done at a regulation and legislative level. Um, so Sarah and I have pulled together a bunch. Um, and honestly, I don't know that this is comprehensive because I'm not in Congress. I don't, you know, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not in a, um, a role where I'm supporting a committee member who might encompass this. I will say that it was interesting. There is a bipartisan PFAS task force and we put the link in the show notes for you there and they have a long long list of people in their task force um, and a mandate for what their goals are and you can see if any of your um, representatives are in that list I know someone from my state was so I would be reaching out to that person in particular to say hey I recognize that you're on the task force I want you to support every single piece of legislation that comes up to limit or ban PFAS. And those would be, so far, what we've called together, um, the PFAS Action Act of 2021, the Keep Food Containers Safe from PFAS. Um, I think that's re-coming up. Um, Not sure what the date on that's going to be. The PFAS Action Act of 2021 there was a PFAS Action Act of 2020, PFAS mm. Action Act of 2019. So that one is um, being reintroduced uh, with its new its new year. Um, and the Keep Food Container Safe Act is expected to be reintroduced soon. It was also one that went nowhere the last time. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, if you look back, um, there have been... Um, there have been attempts to regulate PFAS for the last few years. And um, these bills just, you know, if they make it out of committee, they, they die on the house floor. If they uh, get passed by the house, which I think the um, PFAS action act, if I'm not mistaken, did a couple of times, then it dies in the Senate. It's one of those um, things where uh, public pressure is really, really important to communicate that this is something that, uh, a um, congressperson or senator's constituents care about, and um, and I think it's it's really I feel like this hasn't hit the type of awareness that it it needs to, especially given how robust the science is showing how harmful this chemical class is. So um, those ones again, super super important. Um, in addition to Stacy, you already mentioned the um, No PFAS in Cosmetics Act. Um, there's also the Personal Care Product Safety Act. I'm cheating because you wrote this in the show notes. And the Natural Cosmetics Act um, that are also all, um, all include regulation or banning of PFAS as part of their, their m- more comprehensive um, approaches. 
And I will say, I know I've said it before, the text action of texting better beauty to 52886, it will give you an automated form letter based on your zip code that you can literally, it takes 30 seconds to send um, for the two cosmetics ones, the No PFAS and Cosmetics Act and the Personal Care Product Safety Act are renewed and being looked at. Um, So I know that from like a super simple perspective, if you just take 20 seconds to text Better Beauty to 52886, you're going to get a link that says, click this to fill in the form and you just put your name and your address with your zip code and it will automatically send that to your representatives telling them that you support those. Um, But I think the more that you can reach out to your individual people to let them know you support all these um, PFAS things, because as we noted, it's kind of so pervasive. Um, So some of the other things that you can do to protect yourself is um, avoiding plastics and coated papers for food storage. Mm -hmm. Um, When you think about this from the perspective of where you would find it, right? Like you hear that receipts are a problem because receipts have BPA. When you touch a receipt, you feel that coating, right? Like you, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like a um, I'm rubbing my fingers, my fingers together as I say this, but it's there to like protect the paper from getting stuck and to like not bleed the ink or I, I don't know. I don't know why it's there. It didn't used to be there. Right. We used to have those like little ticker tapes with the, mm-hmm. and you see me being an old person typing on a typewriter right now. Um, we used to have those kind and now we have the new kind of slick kind that, that is a coating. And so if you buy, for example, a rain jacket, um, I would be really particular about what kind of rain jacket I was buying and where I was buying it from. I would look at factors like, is the company um, doing safety testing and checking for these things? Is um, is the company a, a certified B Corp so that they're making sure to take care of the environment and committed to, you know, can I trust that this brand isn't going to 50 years from now be a company that's known for having dumped toxic waste, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um and I think and there are there are some well-known manufacturers of waterproof garments, Gore comes to mind, that have committed to working on like fully they've eliminated a large proportion of the PFAS in their in their Gore-Tex um uh rain gear, but they haven't eliminated it completely and they've sort of committed to doing it. But um, you know, that those are companies that are that style of company are also very, um, very persuaded by, uh, you know, emails. Like you can, Mm -hmm. you can email an HR and say, Hey, I see this great work you're doing. I really care about this. You know, I really want to encourage the company to, to continue on this mission and get rid of all Mm -hmm. PFAS and their coatings. And I, for one, am happy to accept a slightly less waterproof coat (laughs) for a, uh, not being exposed to these dangerous chemicals. Absolutely. And I think, um, also supporting brands who are doing it. So in this case, it's a brand who's making the bridge and continuing to tell them to do it. Another that I was really surprised about as an example. So you hear me talk about testing for safety with personal care products and that being a reason that I choose Beauty Counter. But another example is um, I found out that Thinks Underwear currently has a pending class action lawsuit because they knowingly had PFAS in their underwear and that it causes harm. And so I know how many of us 
I, I mean, like we, we talk about that as being a great option for teenagers. And, but if you think about it, that's repelling liquid. Like they were. And so, and, but the whole point was to Mm -hmm. stop being exposed Mm -hmm. to the toxic chemicals and the feminine hygiene products Mm -hmm. and instead get exposed to toxic chemicals in the supposedly natural safe alternative. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I hear you. And it was, really frustrating for me good news i found um nix brand uh, k-n-i-x um does testing on their clothing to ensure that it is pfas free so it is not just personal care where you can find brands that are committed to that the reason that nix does it i believe and this is an assumption on my part is a canadian brand and it's banned in canada <laughs> so um again you could you could choose to buy products from Canada and Europe and you're going to be exposed to less chemicals because they have higher restrictions just Europe is in the process of banning PFAS right now I hate I hate to say like don't shop American but that is a place that you can look for safer products if you can't find something here and I I think that the reason that I was able to find NYX and that they're testing and fully talk about that testing on their website is because they're Canadian brand so um it applies. I mean, I mean, don't feel guilty about not buying American when it comes to this type of thing because it applies pressure to American yes, brands true. to keep up. So, yeah. um, you know, I think um, this is the the classic voting with your dollar, and I think it's really important. Absolutely. So the other one that I want to mention is um, cookware. So we get a lot of questions because Sarah and I love to cook, um, about Mm -hmm. cookware that we use. And I know we both like, um, cast iron and, um, ceramic coatings like Le Creuset on cast iron. Um, there's some like iffy stuff on, um, green pans. And I'm saying green pan, not as the brand, but as like a, a word that people use kind of like Kleenex yeah. instead of tissues, right? There are some brands of pans that claim they are green that are going to be green washing you. So just be very careful if you're going to choose a non-stick pan. Um, and I, I like genuinely, I don't want to list off other brand names of pans, but I want to encourage you to look into the standards that we're sharing with you right here about being PFAS free and showing the testing for that, because um, that would be my standard for yeah. choosing a cooking pan. Um, for sure. And I think um, one of the other things that we've talked about on the show before, because un- unfortunately municipal water is not as clean uh, as it could be and it can contain uh, things like glyphosate, which we've talked about on the show before. We talked about in episode 406. Um, but also um, PFAS has basically been found in the water supply of approximately 200 million Americans. Um, and studies show that it cannot be removed with a regular like activated carbon filter like you might, might get from a Brita. But it can be removed from reverse osmosis, which um, we this is not a sponsored show, but we both love AquaTrue. It's a countertop reverse osmosis water filter that's very efficient and doesn't waste a ton of water in its its filtration. And uh, I checked 
our link is still good and there's still a great discount over there. So if, uh, if you were thinking about it before and now you're like, okay, I'm for sure getting one, um, get, save yourself some money and go to aquatruewater.com forward slash the whole view and aquatrue is spelled A-Q-U-A-T-R-U. It's missing the E at the end. aquatruewater.com slash the whole view. Okay. We're almost done. Maybe it should have been a two-parter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're the worst at this. Uh, we did have 30 pages of notes that we got through in under 90 minutes, so I'm impressed with us. Um, some additional support and advocacy groups that you might want to look into or work with or volunteer or, you know, support or that will give you resources if you want to sign up for their emails. Environmental Working Group is a really great place. You've heard us talk about that before. Um, some other ones that we found in doing this research, Toxic Free Future, Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families, and Earth Justice. Um, I actually looked up Earth Justice on Charity Watchdog, and they are five-star highly rated. Um, so I love being able to find a charity that um, takes most is able to kind of give back almost fully to what gives that is given to them or to you know to like make good use of um that kind of stuff if you're interested um and then gosh I think I think that's it I think that's the end of like what I had pulled together I do I'm also going to put a link at the end of the show notes for you on um beauty counters advocacy specifically if you want to look at not just like the PFAS stuff um but also the different kinds of things that have happened, for example, in California, because I do think that one of the best things that we can do as we're talking about federal change, but also understanding that sometimes um, states can drive that change as well. And Mm -hmm. so there are states, um, not just California, but Maryland had one and trying to think of other states that were included, but it'll be in that link in the show notes. Um, to the advocacy efforts that are being made on a broad scale um, for a lot of the things that we talked about. So, okay, what did we forget? We're going to talk more about what we really thought about this over on Patreon, by the way. Um, so that would be a good one if you haven't yet tuned in. You're going to hear... If you, en- if you enjoy rants. You're going to hear some rants and some colorful language and some soapboxes. And um, we'll probably go into detail a little bit on the movie that we both watched and enjoyed. And um, I would love for you to join us over on The Whole View on Patreon. And it's a way to support the show because we love making this content for you and we'll always keep it free and we love um, if you're able to support us in that way if not you can also support us by sharing the show with friends and family leaving a review and um, engaging in our social media joining our email lists shopping through the links on our blogs all of that stuff is endlessly appreciated literally I could not thank you enough and um you know, we've had 464 shows at this point, and um, I, I just want to thank you every single time for supporting us in that way and allowing us to continue to educate for a living because this is fascinating work that we both geek out on. This is kind of a, a really good sweet spot for Sarah and I because there's so much science, but there's also like all this non-toxic advocacy regulation mm-hmm. type stuff. And so we're it's totally like geeking out on this. 50-50 exactly in between both yeah. of our areas of expertise. Yeah. 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 So we enjoyed pulling this one together for you and we hope that you enjoyed listening. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. 
Do you love the Whole View podcast? We'd love for you to leave us a review wherever you listen and share a podcast with your friends and family. And did you know that you can now get exclusive behind-the-scenes content on Patreon for less than the price of an almond milk matcha a month? Your Patreon membership supports us and gets you access to a monthly bonus episode. But not for kids' ears, because our bonus content is explicit. You can find us as The Whole View on Patreon for our real, unfiltered thoughts on this week's episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.